I want people to write books that they're proud of and that are as close to their vision as they have the capacity to to make. And we can't ever meet our vision exactly where it is. Meeting that vision, there's always going to be some sort of gap, but I I think we should strive to get as close to it as as we possibly can. Not everybody has the skill right now to do the to bring their vision to life. And they might have to face that and admit that. But uh, striving towards that, I think, is always good. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I am delighted to share the brilliant and badass Jenny Nash. Jenny is a highly sought-after book coach whose clients have landed top New York agents and six-figure book deals with big five houses such as Penguin, Simon & Schuster, and Hatchet. She herself is the author of nine books in three genres and is the creator of the Killer Book Proposal Method. Given that amazing resume, it's no wonder that she is now on a mission to raise the bar in the book coaching industry as the founder and CEO of Author Accelerator, which has trained and certified more than 70 book coaches in both fiction and nonfiction. I'm also lucky enough to have had Jenny as my client, helping her take her business to the next level, which means I both desperately want to hire her as my book coach when I'm ready, but also, as it often happens, my work with her has made her pricing quite high, so I've practically priced her out of my league. I keep doing that. I need to stop. Anyway, we had an eye-opening conversation about the power of a book to transform the reader, how to think about writing your book, book proposals and agents, and just everything you didn't know you needed to know about writing a killer book and proposals. So if that is in the cards for you sometime soon, you are probably going to want to listen to this episode multiple times because Jenny drops gold left and right. So buckle up. Here we go. Let's start with what's going on right now, and then we could back up into some other, I'm sure my listeners want to hear everything, all of your gems of wisdom, because I think everybody that's listening dreams about the book and nobody knows anything about it. So I want to talk about all of that, but first I want to hear how you're doing and what's going on with your biz. Well, you rocked my world so bad and I love it (laughs) and it. It just hit my business exactly where it needed, and it's going really well. The biggest takeaway for me from the whole thing, you know, we have excellent strategies and systems and tactics and and the whole thing, and it's very data-based and and all of that, but it always, always, always comes down to just your mindset and your brain and your boldness and your courage, and, you know, it sounds so cliche, but it's just so true, and so I... I fight against that every day, like everybody else. So it's going well, but it could be, I could be trusting it more. I could be embracing it more. I I find myself wanting to revert to old ways all the time. What are are old ways? The old ways for me are, I have a lot of problem around, around people I know. So all of the the hard things about my business often come out when it's 
someone I've worked with before, a colleague I admire, someone who was referred to me by a friend or a family member. You know, like if it's a stranger who just comes into my business, that's easy. It's it's when it's those, I don't know, soft edges that push the buttons if that's mixing tons of metaphors, but it that's where it comes out for me. And so what happens when I revert to old ways, it's like, oh, I helped this person on a book four years ago and they wanna work with me now. My business has totally changed and how I work is totally changed and what I charge is totally changed, but I feel bad for them because the old way was so different. So I'm gonna offer them some something different, which is just like, stop me from myself stop me from going yeah. to that place and and feeling too much compassion for the other person or oh they can't afford it or oh they're going to be so shocked or surprised or oh i should do this this nice thing for them that's where i get into trouble every day and where it always just the challenges lie for me and the the more you're in business and the better you do, the more opportunity you have for those things to happen because everything's referable, referral and it's a super small world and everybody knows everybody. So it's holding holding to what I decided, hold, holding to what I know is right, just getting out of my own way. I find that's the biggest challenge in my business. Mm, I can completely relate to that. What do you think that's about? <laughs> I mean, I what's know, the fear? Like not being liked 100%. or not being seen as nice? It's a hundred percent. Like I want to be a good girl. I don't want to uh -huh. make any waves. I want people to like me. It's like sixth grader things that no, we all have it. Yeah, like twelve year old <laughs> things. And when I when I step back and and realize what I've accomplished and what I've done and the value that I bring and all of those things, it it's preposterous. It was just yesterday having a conversation with somebody who I enormously admire in the world of publishing, who's, who's on the edge of some incredible innovation. And, and I was giving her a lecture about all these same things and um, referencing you and channeling you and saying all the things <laughs> that you say too. And it just as a, rem a reminder, we all have to work on these things it looks from the outside it always looks like somebody has it so together and and then you just it's tiniest lift the cover the tiniest little bit it's like no we're all just 12 year olds who want to be liked yeah because we were all 12 once and that stuff does not go away yeah. at all yeah it's so funny you say it looks like y'all have have it all together. It's like that is what having it all together seems to be. <laughs> Being able to do it despite having those feelings inside. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't have some of those residual feelings from being a child. Like nobody is nobody comes out of the womb as a fully confident adult. Human. <laughs> knows how yeah. to do well, and I think you have to what you just said is really true. You have to do the thing despite your fear or the story you're telling yourself you have to take action despite those things and finding that motivation is i think one of my talents and it usually has to do with sort of holding my breath and closing my eyes and just saying all right screw it i'm doing it and and helping other people learn how to do that too yeah uh, do, do you find that that's a big part of your job as you're coaching people on their 
books where they're bearing their soul <laughs> to the world? I mean, is that a core piece of it? Helping oh, them Pia. do something that's scary? Is that it? Is that what that's it is? That's all it is. Is that your true magic? That's all it is. So I work with people yeah. who are writing book proposals, which is what you do when you're writing a nonfiction book and you're trying to get a traditional publishing deal. So that's the path that you take. You write a proposal to get an agent to get a traditional publishing deal. And I work with people who largely are have expertise in some other area. So they run a business or they have some sort of a practice or they are known for a thing. So they're area experts and they are at the top of their game and they they want to write a book because they want to spread their messages and they they want to know how to do that. And and it's never actually about the content. It it we work on the content. That's the thing that we're doing. We're shaping it, we're structuring it, we're figuring out where the boundaries and the edges are. How should this book take shape? What should be in it? What shouldn't be in it? What should the tone be? You know, all of those questions. That's what we're actually doing. But the thing we're always always working on is do I have a right to say this thing? Do I have the uh, power to get up on the soapbox? Will anybody care? Is what I'm saying different enough? Is it, has it been done before? Am I going to be, it's just back to what we're saying. Are they gonna like me? Like that's actually what it all comes down to. And and it, it just fascinates me that it's never not that way. It's never not that way. And, and it, the game that I you mean no matter how expert the person is right. or the topic still, or the topic that they're the topic. that they're writing about I'm I'm working with somebody right now who's an executive business coach whose clients read like the fortune 50 I mean he's just an incredible executive leader coach who who has been in the game for 25 years and who just has amazing results who and who has there's things com that come out of his mouth that Every time I talk to him that like I'm scribbling notes all the time that I want to know for my own self, like he's got a really interesting perspective and a really unique way of looking at things. And he boils it down in such a way that it's just graspable. It's so the information, the content is so good. And his actual area of expertise is people, is relationships. That's what he helps people do is build stronger, better networks and relationships and that's still the thing he worries about. Is this good enough? Are they going to like me? Is it going to, you know, are my colleagues going to admire what I do? Is it enough? Am I enough? It's, it's constantly about that. As I'm listening to you say this, and you're talking about these really heavy hitters, it's almost like, it's almost like, I feel like it's exactly like, the better you get at things, the m almost the more you feel kind of insecure. I mean, I know in my experience, I felt more confident in some areas when I, 10 years ago, when I knew so much less. The, my experience of learning in general has been the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I, I think there's, there, I know there is, and I don't know what it is. There's some term for that. <laughs> the more you learn, the more you realize you do not know, and therefore the less you feel like you know, even though you know so much more than you did before. <laughs> that sounds like what you're seeing. Totally. No, I think that's, that's, really, that's really it. I think the better you get at something also, the more you realize how, what, a, what a large role luck plays in where you have arrived. That you know, there's a lot of people who are talented. There's a lot of people who are smart. There's a lot of people who have taken a risk. There, there's a lot of people who've 
done those things and and when you sort of get to that place you you realize how did I become one of the people at this level or this place on the ladder or whatever the 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 metaphor is for that and and you realize that there there were certain pieces that were not in your control and so I think that plays into it too where you realize am I really supposed to be here did I really work hard and I think lately it also has really come into my mind the the role of privilege in that and I've really been paying attention to that a lot that you know I personally for example had the privilege of opportunity uh, to go to excellent schools. I had the privilege of being married to a partner who had health insurance at a stable job. So I was able to start a business without concern for how to feed my family. Uh, so the luck of opportunity or the privilege of opportunity, I think, is is also really prevalent in my mind lately when I see that how uneven the playing field is and so I think to a certain extent people know that when they've had that privilege they know that yes I worked hard and I'm talented and I'm good and I'm all these things but I also was born in this certain way that allowed me these certain privileges um, you know so whether we admit that to ourselves or not or whatever words we put on it I think that that plays into it too where you realize other people who could could do these things weren't given those opportunities or or they had to work harder to get to them how much do you advise people to really be upfront about that in their in their books and in their story well i mean it's a ongoing and emerging situation that is so complex and confusing that i don't I don't have answers. So that's another another part I think what Tell us what to do. Right? I think it's another, Tell us what the right thing to do. I, I think it's another thing about what you're talking about is the more yeah. that you know and the more that you accomplish, the more you realize there are no answers and people are right. looking to you for answers. And yep. they say, well, you know, and I'm paying you a lot to know. So tell me what to do. Tell me what the right way is. Tell me what the most viable way forward is. And and there is no, there is no knowing. You know, and I'll just give you a tiny example. I had two writers in the last week whose books were out on submission to agents. So that's the end of a very long road. And in one case, it was fiction. So the person had written the entire book. And in the other case, it was nonfiction. So they'd written a proposal. And both of these writers got rejected. And in the circumstances I'm talking about, we had decided to go out to one agent in an exclusive basis. So it was a sort of one shot deal where they take it or not, which is a strategy that you sometimes do. So that just happened that I had two clients in two different genres doing this last week. So one of them, the fiction writer is a, a white woman who is retired, who spent her career on Capitol Hill and in her retirement wanted to do two things. One was learn how to play the cello and the other was learn how to write a novel. So I helped her write a novel about a cello player in, in World War II. It's magnificent. She spent three years on it and the first agent we pitched it to snatched it up and, um, and took it out to, to publishers. And what happened last week was she got back all rejections just flat out all rejections. And 
some of the responses were it's not the time right now to have a book by a privileged person about a privileged person in this time like that was some of the feedback that that you got that you got which what can you do about that literally nothing but what's fascinating yeah. is the other client that I was working with is a young black woman who's a professor at a community college and she's writing uh, just this incredibly dynamic thoughtful interesting person and has scholarship that she's been doing on the advantages of being a low-income person of color in the world of business that that growing up in that way gives you competitive advantages and she has done research on this and was presenting this this research to parents so it was a parenting book about what you can learn from these families and these kids and it's just fascinating i worked with her on her positioning and her structure and the whole thing and i thought this was just the surest home run that you could possibly imagine in this time where we find ourselves right now with this particular author and so same story she went out she got a really top agent to to look at it right away and that agent came back and said the market is so flooded with people of color right now mm -hmm. that i can't possibly sell anything else like this so it was the two diametrical two totally opposite things saying exactly the opposite thing to to the same writer so as the person advising those writers like i don't know what from one day to the next what it's going to be or what the market is going to bear or what's timely or what's not and so all you can do is write the thing that's in your heart that you are passionate about that you believe in the reason you're called to write something is because you have something to say and you know if you didn't have something to say you would be taking up knitting or pottery or something else instead books are about saying something they're about speaking and raising your voice and so all you can do is is do that to the best of your ability and and then you can control what you can control, which in the, the publishing world is, is maybe not how it gets published, but anything can get published these days. You can get anything into book form into the hands of readers. So then those are de separate decisions, how you're going to do that. And these two writers, by the way, have a long way to go before they're done trying. I just bring those illustrations up because it was just nutty. <laughs> so frustrating. Yeah. I rewatched. You have a great video on your on your website about what a book proposal is that just lays it out um, in very clear form. And one of the things that you say in it is that a lot of people. I'm paraphrasing. Maybe I'm getting this wrong. A lot of people think, "Oh, I'm going to write a book that's never been written before, and that's why the agents will want it." And you said, "No, it's the opposite. They don't want a book that's never been <laughs> written before. They kind of want to see that this book has been written before, and other people liked it." Well, yeah, and it, it's it, it's really true. So the way to look at this is, if you think about, so my husband worked for 15 years at for Toyota. And if you look at a company like Toyota, they make a product, which is a car, and they put a ton of money into research and development. So the Camry is their bread and butter. They sell gazillions of them. So every however many years they come out with a new Camry and they have 
massive numbers of people and massive amount of money that goes into what is that Camry going to look like when it next comes out? What is it going to function like? What are we going to improve? Is it going to be electric this time? Is it going to have three you know, cups for our coffee? Like all the things. And they, they research that to, to the nth degree <laughs> to try to get it right and to market test it and to know what we're all going to buy. When you look at a publishing company, there is no equivalent. There is no research and development. They don't put money into what is the book that everybody's going to want in 2022. <laughs> that does, it doesn't work like that. So research and development for the publishing companies is let's buy all these books that all these people have written, throw them all out there and see what happens. Right, So it's an incredibly inefficient and risky enterprise because you can't really know. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We're just coming out of a pandemic when you and I are speaking. We have no idea how the world will have changed. We have no idea when the next pandemic is coming. We have no idea of any of this. So somebody writing about anything that touches on that topic whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you're just guessing. And somebody mm. somewhere is writing a book that in two years is gonna be seen as the most timely, interesting, right on target idea that has ever been done. But, but it, they, it can't plan that, right? So, so if you look at it from that perspective, that research and development perspective, the, what the agents and the publishers are looking for is something that they can see has been effective before. So this kind of book tends to work well. This kind of book is a perennial favorite. There's, you know, you look at any topic like pregnancy, there's always people that want to read another book on pregnancy. There's always new information. There's always new ways of moving through that or handling that or ideas change or what we know. So they always want a book on, on pregnancy. So they're going to look at other books that have done well in that realm to see how your book is going to perform. And so it gives them some comfort to know that there have been other books like yours that have done well. And the the idea that you could do something totally new and unique and, and different is, is just preposterous. It just it doesn't exist. And the the only change or difference that we bring as writers to our work is, well, and it's the same as business owners actually, is the particular style with which we do that thing. So the particular way we talk about it, the particular angle that we get at it, the, the way that we approach it. And, and I think that that goes back to what we were talking about before the reason everybody freaks out and thinks that they aren't good enough or nobody's going to care is is because at a certain extent we all know that it's it's just the tiniest little difference in like if you think about somebody that you admire out there doing anything and i will i will speak about a woman named Rachel Rogers who i'm obsessed with so she has a book coming out in a couple months called We Should All Be Millionaires. And she has a company where she helps women, particularly women of color, earn a million dollars. Her company is called Hello7. So she's about making a million dollars. And 
I follow her. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. And she, she has a message of empowerment for women and earning what you're worth and charging what you're worth and money is power and men have all, all, had all the power for all the time and it's time for women to claim their power and the only way you can do that is by doing that your own self. Nobody's going to do it for you. This is her message and she's out there just beating the drum with this message. And I, the reason I'm obsessed with her is that she is so focused on this message and she's so relentless <laughs> with this message. And she says the same thing over and over and over again in her Instagram, in her email, in her podcast. I'm sure it's going to be in her book in every single thing she does. It's just this relentless focus. And there are so many other people saying the same thing through time. There have been so many other people. You can trace that message all over the universe of other people saying that same thing. And so why does she have a massively big following? Why does she have raving fans? Why am I her raving fan? And the only reason is just the way she does it. It's not that she's saying anything particularly new. It's it's that it just, it hits me in a way where I think, yeah, yeah, you know, like I hear it. And that's what's interesting about ideas is sometimes we have to hear them nine million times before they get through. And, you know, somebody says something in a particular way and you finally get it. And you, you may have been hearing that same thing your whole life, but this time it it hits you, it hits your heart or it hits your soul or it hits your brain in a way where you're, where you're like, oh, I see, I get it now. And that that's really what a writer is doing and a business person is just coming at that information in their particular way and, and finding the people for whom it's hitting right. That is such a powerful thing to remember everyone, uh, including myself, because it's really easy to get lost in the feeling of, oh, this has been said before. Like, why, why should I be the one to say it when I was um, doing, when I was going through the very intense process of building my TED Talk and like I had so many different angles for it, you know, it's kind of a similar process in that you're trying to find what is the core idea. So many things I felt like, yeah, okay. So that's both profound and universal and powerful. And yes, it came deep from my soul. And also, oh my God, that is the biggest cliche I've ever heard. And everyone has done this and who cares? But that, that I had, I went through that loop over and over and over again. And hearing your story about Rachel Rogers, I also, um, read a lot of her stuff and love it. And I think, I think part of it is how she's saying it. And part of it is something you said before, which is that, that just commitment and consistency to that message. And you can say Rachel Rogers, millionaire, Rachel Rogers, millions. Like that's what it, that is the connection. And I know other people who have said the millionaire thing, but they don't own it the way she does. And so it's more powerful the way she does it. Right. It's that authenticity that she, she, you know, that she truly believes it. And, and you know, that she is just 1000% committed to it and, and in it. And that's, that's really what we're looking for. So the other mm -hmm. day, the woman who's writing the book about the cello player asked me to go watch a YouTube video of Benjamin Zander, who's the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. And she wanted me to go watch him 
working with this particular cellist and the cellist was playing this particular piece that's featured in book two of this of this series so you know I was like all right I'll I'll go watch it for five minutes you know she wanted me to just like get a taste of it and and in this video Benjamin Zander who's this this old guy with like white hair going all over this place is working in a master class where there's people watching and he's working with this young cellist who's maybe 16 or 17 years old and this this conductor is just in this cellist's face like literally in his face with his hands on it, this guy's head moving it this way and putting it this way and his hands around his body and and you know positioning his arm this way and that way and 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 you know he's throwing his whole body into teaching this kid this this old guy and he's and he's on his feet and he's he cannot sit still and he cannot keep his mouth shut and he's like so bubbling over with this passion and i could not stop watching it was a a 40 minute video and literally his entire message was play with heart that was that was it like how many times have we heard that whatever the mm. thing is whether you're playing soccer or playing the cello like play with heart leave it all on the field you know connect with the people you know play for this woman in the front row like everything he was saying was said a thousand times before but just that the actual embodiment of the way that he was saying it and it was literally embodied because it was just so it was so physical and the cello and he's just on it and around this guy and I kept thinking about what it would be like to be that young kid he's probably like this guy's wacko like he's <laughs> like get away from me you know like it was so physical and but that was that's what we're looking for is that somebody who believes it who's in it so thoroughly whatever it is they're doing that you can't look away because it's so they've got so much passion and purpose and authenticity and and anybody who wants to write a book or start a business has that if you didn't have that you wouldn't want to do those things you I know so many people who don't want to write a book or start a business or they and I always look at them with fascination like what is it like to be somebody who just can like you know work in their garden and or make banana bread and the, and be okay with that like it's so unusual to me what is it like and anybody who's called to to make something and put it in the world like a book or a business is a different is a different type of person and they so they have that thing we're talking about and so i feel like my job is to help them bring that thing out you can't fake that kind of passion that this white-haired man, you know, brings to the table. But but there are a lot of people who have that passion who like dim their light, hide it, like it is or it is hidden behind the any sort of insecurities. I mean, even this is like very timely for me as I start to get more and more on video and it's, you know, I'm like, I can't start. The second you get me going, I'm good. But like in the beginning, I'm like, oh, what? I can't even look at this camera right now. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Steve's like, what do you mean you don't know what to say? You've never not known what to say. <laughs> and so there's, so there's this like element of it, which is no matter how passionate you are, you have to feel, you have to be able to also let it out in order for people to connect with it, right? That's the whole yeah. thing. And, and let it out in different ways. Form. So you let it out, 
you know, you've written books, you've done courses, you have tools, you write columns, you have like you let it out in all the ways. And what you're talking about is letting it out in in some different way that makes you feel perhaps more exposed or makes you feel touches on those those buttons of what are they going to say or I'm not good enough or who am I or somebody else should be doing this. Like I had a really interesting experience when I I wrote a book right at the 2000 in 1999 and 2000 and I had I was a breast cancer survivor and I wrote a memoir about that experience and it it did really well in a very strange way which was that Ford Motor Company who was at the time a national sponsor for the Komen Race for the Cure events they purchased 100,000 copies of my book and branded them with the Ford logo and sent me out on tour all over the country to speak to young women. I was quite young when I was diagnosed, I was 35, and I had two little kids and they they were doing initiatives to help raise awareness among young women. So they, they printed all these books, they sent me out on this tour and I was doing all this radio and TV and also big ballroom events, those big pink tea ballroom events. And I did a ton of them. And, and every single time I'd be seated at the head table and there would always be seated at the head table, usually the sickest person who could, who could attend the event, you know, somebody probably who was dying. And I would always sit there at the table and you know what those events are like. Well, we used to know what they were like, right? Yeah. Where they're... It's been a while <laughs> since I went to a ballroom. <laughs> but there, there's always there's always a little bit of a sense of like, is this going to be the worst? Like, is this chicken they're serving me going to be the worst? Is, is just the whole <laughs> event going to be the worst? Is it just like, can I get out of here? Is it going to be that kind of event? And I used to sit there and I think, well... The only difference between this event being a dud and, and in this event being inspiring great is me because I'm the keynote speaker and, and here I am. And and I would sit there and I would look at the the sick person seated near me. Usually they were bald from chemo. And I would think, why aren't they getting up there to speak? Who who am I to get the up there to speak? Look at me. I am healthy. I have my eyebrows and my hair, <laughs> you know, I, I actually wasn't that sick. That's what I would tell myself. I wasn't that sick. I didn't have cancer that bad. I only had it a little bit bad. Like this woman has it really bad and she's going to die. So she should get up there and speak because the person who has it the worst is the one who should get to speak to us. And I would, uh -huh. I would sit there and tell myself that. And, and then I had to stand up and go speak. And, and while I would walk up to the microphone, I would think, why is it me and not her? Why is it me and not her? And the thing I would have to tell myself is because I know how to tell the story. Mm. That's all I have is I know how to tell the story. That's my, that's my talent. A lot of people don't know how to do that. A lot of people would be afraid to get up and speak to a thousand people. They would be nervous. They would do a poor job. They would not feel the energy. They would not connect. And I know how to do that. So that's, that's why I, the, the one. And so that goes to what you're saying is that the, the person who, you know, you're in front of the camera, you're the, you're the one that is being listened to. You're the one that has come to the place where you have the, all the things that you need to, to be that person. And that's, 
that's what we all need is that, that per, you know, like that, that conductor I was talking about, Benjamin Zander. Uh, I, I mean, part of what I loved about it is, is did it take his whole career for him to get to this point where that's how he behaved? Like he probably didn't get to behave that way when he was a young conductor. It would be obnoxious. It would be, you know, like uh, he would be taking up too much space. He'd be, you know what I mean? Like there's, right. you have to grow into that in a certain way. And that I think is what writing books is, is really about is growing into your power, growing into your belief that you for whatever reason, circumstances have brought you to this place where you are are called to do that and you're going to be the one to do that. Mm. How do you feel about uh, the whole book industry became democratized with really like Amazon and self-publishing becoming so easy? And, you know, I advise any expert who, I mean, I attract a lot of people who are really badass at what they do. And so when they are, I'm like, well, you should write a book, you know, if you're so inclined, that would be a great marketing strategy. But at the same time, I, I see a lot of people just publishing books with who have no business, at least their books are not, you know, even well edited necessarily. It's like, oh, you got to have a book. So I'm just going to like pop a book out. How do you feel about that? And the fact that books can be wielded as like a badge of expertise on the one hand, I, I'm I'm going to guess, I'll put words in your mouth so you can correct me. I'm going to guess <laughs> that you're going to say, like, everybody's got a book in them. Like, everybody has a story. But then there's also, like, people call themselves experts before they've done anything. They're 22-year-olds who want to be life coaches. You know, like, what do we, how do we rectify the fact that, that that exists, especially in the book world? Well, it is, you've touched on a thing that is my pet peeve. And, and it makes me really angry. And that is this idea that you said, I don't believe that anybody should write a book. And there's a lot of companies who promise that, who say, oh, we can just take a bunch of your blog posts and slap them together and that can be your book. Or we can record your voice and capture you talking for you know X number of hours and transcribe that and slap that into a book. And yes, you can do those things. That is available to anybody. And is there merit in that? For sure. You know, yeah, do it. Yes. But that's not a transformative experience for the reader. That's not offering a true value to the reader. That's not doing service to that person's expertise. I think it's so damaging, those promises. And so I don't believe, I believe, you know, Anybody can write a book. You and I could, you could transcribe this conversation and we could have it up on Amazon in two days and it could be a book. But, but what is that, right? Like the, I, I, I believe that books are one of the most profound ways that humans communicate. And when you think that you can communicate across time and space through a book, you can communicate after somebody's died through the book that they've written. That happens all the time. Like it's, it's a profoundly powerful piece of communication. And it, and it is not just words bound together. That's not what a good book is. And part of what I do is the experience of reading a book is extremely linear. You start at the beginning and you move through to the end. It's very chronological. It's very linear. It's very flat, that, the experience of, of reading a book. And the experience of writing a book is 
completely the opposite. It's a total mess. It's all over the place. It's, it's up and down. It's back and forth. It's inside and out. It's spiraling around. You're iterating on the thing all the time. So the, the experience of writing a book that is going to move the reader is, is moving from this geography of chaos <laughs> to this very controlled linear experience. And that work is so hard to do and it's so hard to do well and people get really stuck in it and they they don't get it right and you you and i both know when people get it right it it moves mountains it uh, yesterday i was doing some research about james clear's atomic habits which which i actually haven't read i think i'm the last person on the planet who hasn't read it but i was I was just doing some research around that book and, and it was a comp title for somebody that I was working with. And, and it was, it just so, so that goes to what we've been talking about this whole time. Like it's a book about habits for crying out loud, right? It's a book about so many habit books, <laughs> like focusing and prioritizing and, and managing yeah. your time. And like, it is not rocket science, but there is something about the way he structured that book and formed it and put it together and and captured that passion that he has for it, the clear passion that he has for it that has impacted many millions of people. And when you think about why would you write a book, same as why would you start a business, that's what you want. You don't just want to do it and just have it. And you know, what people don't realize is that book doesn't go away. If you do a crappy job, like I wrote a book when I was 25 years old. I'm 56, I'm mean, 57 soon. So this is a long time ago. And it was my first book. It was a huge success for me to have a book at 25. And it was a book about getting married. And my older daughter, who's 28, recently got married. She said to me, gee, maybe I should read your book about getting married now that I'm getting married, which was hilarious because I was like, that would have been a great engagement gift for me to give my child. I just didn't even think about that. So I wait, when did you get married? When I was 25, I was super young. Oh, so you got married at 25 and you wrote a book about getting married yes. the year you got married. That's okay, right. Gotcha. That's right. So, so I pulled this book out and I opened it up and I, I gasped. I was so horrified. I didn't even remember <laughs> that it had been printed in like teal ink. It had been like this little gift book kind of a book. And in my mind, it was not that at all. It was like this beautiful, powerful thing that I had written. But it was like this sort of dumb little book that I had that I had produced. And and I was kind of embarrassed and I didn't want to send it to her and the you know the, a book lives forever like it's an object it it lives forever that's part of the appeal of it and the, the only reason I got over that and actually sent it to her was that I I also believe that a book represents who you are at that time in that moment and sure. and that it can be the best of what you can do at that moment and this this book that has teal ink was the best that that I could do at that moment and it was a stepping stone that got me to write better things and to do better things and and all of that but but there is that reality that a book is an incredibly tangible thing that is going to live 
past you and is going to be on somebody's shelf and is going to be in a library and is going to be held in somebody's hands and are you going to write something you're embarrassed about or that you slap together in 90 days or that doesn't represent the the best of what you can do at that moment like i think that is such a wasted opportunity and you know people complain because the roi of writing a book is really low it, it takes a lot of time and effort and energy and you know because you're doing it and you have done it when you're when you're running I'd say it's incredibly high but yeah right you're running a business <laughs> and you're raising a family and you're doing all the things like you're going to take time to to work on this very slow long laborious project that is probably not going to pay off very well like why would you do that and and you would do that because it it is the best way of conveying your best ideas to another human being and that opens the gateway to wild opportunity and to spreading your message i mean you're right everybody everybody should write a book who who has something to say but but i think that they should do it the right way <laughs> i think there's a right way and a wrong way i just do and and the books that move us that we press into people's hands are not the books that get slapped together that's that's not the book where you say you have to read this you know right and, I mean, and, you know, I want to make it clear, I'm not talking about doing a book right does not necessarily mean getting an agent and a traditional book deal at Simon and Schuster or Hachette or right. Penguin. That's not necessarily it. Like this book I have back here on my table, I self-published my own self and I know you did the same thing. And that represents the best work that I could do at that time for a very particular audience that happened to be quite niche. And I, it had no place in a traditional marketplace. And it's cheap paper. It's a cheap book that, you know, I did on print on demand. Like it's, it's the object itself is not uh, great. And the way it was brought into the world was with no fanfare whatsoever. That's not what I'm talking about. You can have a book that is not produced beautifully or traditionally that has excellent merit it you know it, we're talking about that really what it comes down to is the the intention of the author what is your intention do you want mm. to what why do you want to write this book which is by the way the first question i ask anybody who works works with me why do you want to do this what you know really why not just because it's cool or because it's time or because i want to make money because that's not probably happening with the book itself but really why and why do you care about this idea? Why do you care about transmitting this idea? What about this matters to you? That's what I mean, the intention of that and wanting to have an impact. I think people write because they want to have an impact. And I think it's the same reason people start businesses. And I know when you and I talked you asked me an extremely astute question the very first time we talked, and it was the reason I hired you, actually. Oh, I know, right? Because know this. you said something about, I was making enough money in my business that wanting to make more money and wanting to go to the next level was it's not about money. And, and you said, oh, at a certain point, it's never about money. It's, it's got to be about something else to propel you 
further to propel you to keep going to propel you to make those bigger leaps and make that bigger impact and I when you said that I remember I smiled because I had not articulated so clearly yet to myself that what I was trying to do with my business was was impact an industry and and change the way that writers are supported and give credence to this idea we've been talking about that writing a book is hard and it takes a long time and you shouldn't know how to do it by yourself. If you want to do it well, you probably need somebody by your side who's, who's done it before or who can help you do it. And I believe that so strongly that I want that idea to spread. And that's why I'm on fire to to run a, a business where I train book coaches because I'm trying to spread this idea. And And you articulated that just really quickly, really fast, really well. And it was like, oh, you, you get, you get it. And it's the same thing with, with writing a book. It's people who want to, who want their idea to have an impact and who are willing to do whatever it's going to take to make that impact. And it's way harder than slapping some blog posts together. Yeah. Anyone who reads has been, had their life shaped by the books in it, right? I mean, I can, yeah, I can trace back most really powerful ideas or even my own personality and how it's evolved to very specific books and exactly when I read them and why they had that impact on me. And man, I mean, that's powerful. It shapes the world because it shapes the people in it and how we all think. So there's that opportunity there. It's huge. And if it's, you want it. Yeah. And it's powerful and it's scary. And no wonder people say, you know, who's going to listen to me? And, and because I think we all know writers approaching work all know that what we really hope is that somewhere or someday somebody gets hit that way. You were hit by that book you love. That's really what we want, which is kind of asking a lot, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I want to move another person. And I've been working on a book of my my own for more than 20 years. <laughs> I am have been a chronic migraine sufferer since uh, I was pregnant with my first child at age 28. And I have had migraines the, my whole life and really debilitating, difficult migraines. And I have wanted to write about it for more than 20 years. And I've been trying to find a way into that material and trying to find an angle onto that material. And, and I have, I was profoundly impacted by something that I read from Joan Didion, the great essayist in a, a book called The White Album that she wrote in the 60s, a tiny little essay about her having a migraine and the way she described it so perfectly captured my experience that I, I have held that in my hand for 20 years. And, and I wanted to write something that did that for other people that did that same thing. And I couldn't figure out, every time I would approach the material, it felt self-centered, it felt whiny, it felt egotistical, it felt like, who cares? I, I didn't even care. Like, you know, it was, it was <laughs> boring, it was flat, but this idea just keeps coming back and coming back and wouldn't let me go and circling around. And, and I finally found a way in 
um, this last year that was connected to a, a new medication that I'm taking that changed my experience of the migraine. And I just got a little shift in perception and it was like, oh, this is what I'm really writing about. This is really what Joan Dinian was writing about. This is really what this topic is. And that, that like, I haven't wanted to do this for 20 years because I haven't wanted to do it badly. Right? Like nobody mm. needs a bad book about somebody's experience with migraine. Like it sounds just deadly and horrible and nobody wants that. But if I can do it in a way that hopefully touches someone the way Joan Didion's words touched me, I, I feel that I could do something important and possibly profound. And like, that's hard to say out loud. I'm going to do something important and profound. But that's what I've been searching for for 20 years is is a way to, to do it. And sometimes it takes that long and sometimes you can speed up the process <laughs> if you work with a book coach who's going to hammer you every day about about your intention. But that that that's what we're up against when we're we're trying to write. And, you know, no matter what we're trying to write, no matter what the topic is, you're trying to actually change people and impact them and have them know something they didn't know before or see or know something because of the way that you shared it. I mean, your book does that. I, I love your book. I, I have your book dog-eared and underlined and, and, and it, you know, the, the way you invite people into your business is you see, oh, there's Pia out there doing, like you're constantly producing content and, and you see it out there on Twitter or wherever. And, and then it's like, oh, this woman has really interesting ideas. I'm going to see if she write, has written a book. Oh, she has written a book. Get that book. You know, and then you're engaged with that material and it, like, you're right. It's making you see something in a new way or get something in a new way or it hits you in a new way. And you're like, yeah. And, and then that moves people into your business where you have a really profound impact on them because they're, they're getting you one-on-one. -on -one. And that's what a book can, can do for people is be like a lighthouse on, on the, island drawing people to your idea and your power and you know yeah the ROI on the book may not be great but how great to have a lighthouse <laughs> yeah shining in the dark well first of all thank you so much for saying that I obviously am so humbled by you specifically thinking that about my book so I want to tell you this I'm like embarrassed to say this but that's why I should say it so <laughs> I wrote the book, published the book, and then years later, <laughs> read this book. I think it's called, I always confuse it with a different one, The Win Without Pitching Manifesto. Do you know this book? I don't. The Win Without Pitching Manifesto. Okay. I, I want to say it's by Blair Ends, but I confuse it with another book called Win Without Pitching. <laughs> and another book that's called Pitch Anything, and I just confused the three. I have them all on my Kindle, and I've read them all multiple times, but I confused them all, and I'll never get it right. Um, anyway, it's a small little book about, and basically, I read the book, and I was horrified because I was like, oh, everyone's going to think that I stole this book. Like, I was like, this is my book. 
completely. Wow, and, I, yeah. and I just read it like, you know, like every page I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like I was freaking out. This is years after I read this book. And ever since then, even now I've coached people like in this industry, in my agency industry and in my own coaching programs, people will be like, oh, you guys should totally read this book. And I feel like a fraud. <laughs> I feel like people are going to find out nothing. I don't know, like that this book exists. But the, the lesson that I have learned from that is that people do not. And I said it to Steve and he was like, that's not your book. It's like, oh, my God, line by line. This is my book. The, the mess, the core thing, everything I says is right there. And he goes, yeah, but it's nothing like your book. <laughs> it's like it's written in this. It, it, to be fair, it is completely different tone. There's no story. It's a very it's the manifesto. It's like almost like a guideline or something. It's almost like a handbook. It might even be called a handbook. I don't remember. So his experience was that they're obviously nothing like each other. Yeah. So it really is the messenger and the stories. And I it just blows to, me away. <laughs> I used to teach at UCLA in the Writers Center. And there was a, a cohort of, of writer colleagues, you know, that we all knew each other. And we had taught there for quite some time. And what would happen is people would cycle through instructors. So they would go to Lisa's class and they would go to Monica's class and they would go to Barbara's class and they'd come to my class. And we all knew that this was happening because people, writers take all the classes and they read all the books and same with business people, right? You're consuming all the things. And every once in a while, somebody would, you know, come into your class and they would, they would say, oh, you just completely cracked my mind open. Like I totally get it. Now I've taken all these other teachers and they didn't get it, but you get it. And and then I would go to the other teachers and tell them that. And they're like, yeah, I told them exactly the same thing. <laughs> like they, they, It just sometimes is the right time, the right place, the right the instructor or whatever. The right words. The right, the right, yeah. You know, and that's, wow. that's, that's the nature of the beast. And everybody has had that experience, I think, that you've had where where you feel like a fraud. It's a version of imposter syndrome. Like everyone's going to find out that, I don't really know what I'm talking about, or I stole it, right? That's just a version of, of imposter syndrome. And, and really, we're all a product of everything we've ever learned and read and, and thought about. And all the ideas that I have have been built on other people's ideas. And that's, that's the beauty of it. That's, that's the way it works, right? You think of, I mean, I barely know what I'm talking about. But like, Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud and you know there's this they build and they take it and they tweak it a little bit and they go here and there and then the people that are known down the line for that idea you know we there's room for all the people that's what I always say room for all the ideas room for all the stories you know you gotta you gotta speak your truth yeah it's like you know people want to read about this just because they read a book about this topic doesn't mean they don't want to read yours. Quite the opposite. They probably really want to read yours, right? Because they're interested in this topic. They want to read all the books about habits. They want to read all the books about profitable businesses or how to write a great book. Well, or... that's what I always say. Like, you can't see it, but I'm looking right here at this bookshelf filled with writing books. There's hundreds of them. I've mm. bought them all. You know, every I can talk to almost any writer and say, oh, did you read X? And they're like, oh, yeah. You know, did you read Y? Oh, yeah. Like everybody buys all the books that you're right. If you if you're interested in a thing, you usually buy a lot of books in that thing. You usually buy a lot of courses in that thing, online mm -hmm. courses or 
video programs or you get coaching from different people. You know, it's not, there's not like a, you only get one book, <laughs> you know, you only get to buy <laughs> one book. I mean, that, right. that would be a terrible rule, but there, there is, there's room for, for all the books. There's room for all the books. Yeah. You know, I think I've, I've gone past the idea that there's some magical piece of information that I haven't encountered. It's not like it, there's something I just don't know and I have to find it. It's more like, okay, the collection of, in, the collection of ideas put together in this way has worked for this person. And the collection of, you know, all the different information put together in that way has worked for that person. Now, when I look at both of them, but these two people, I will then take those and put them into my collection. And that is the part that is unique, is your unique, like, you know, the way you've baked your cake. And so that's your book. Totally. Right? It's like your... I love that. It's your... You've baked your cake. It's like, what are the ingredients you bring to it? It's, it's where you grew up and how you grew up and what you read when you were a kid and what the culture was and what your opportunities were or were not. And, you know, all the things you bring, bring which are just who you are that, that nobody else brings. And those, oftentimes you need somebody to reflect back to you that, that those matter. <laughs> I think sometimes mm -hmm. we really talk ourselves out of it that, you know, well, I didn't do anything special or I'm, I'm no one special. It's like, well, yeah, you, you really are. And it's be believing that and, and then doing the work to capture, capture that. So you make me want to write an amazing book right now <laughs> and jump into it right now and obviously hire you to help me. I, I am feeling just tickled thinking about this whole, I'm not thinking about writing books all the time. So, but the, the huge impact that it has that it can have on people and i love how your business has you know you're very exclusive your time is very limited you can only take on a certain number of clients i've told you you should take on even fewer <laughs> you can charge even more because really you could charge whatever you want for your brilliance and so it, when i asked you that question you know it's your the answer was I want to make it a much larger impact on this industry. But to me, that translates to you want to make a much larger impact on the way the book coaching industry works, because that will that multiplies the use. And the more people that are under your tutelage and able to apply this these ideas and, and transform help transform the way people write books, the more people you train like that exponentially, you will be able to impact the kinds of authors and the process they'll go through and the kinds of books that are written. I am just so in love with the fact that you have two businesses and and the one that you're really focusing on growing because your own business kind of grows itself is training these coaches. Can you tell us just like a little bit about how that works and like, yeah, how does that work? Yeah, I, I originally started a kind of agency where I thought I was going to hire other people to be book coaches and, and serve writers. And, and I ran that for five years and it was a really bad business model for a number of, of reasons. And in 2018, I pivoted and I realized that what I had really built was a, a book coach training program that I had developed a way to, to teach people how to do what I do. And book coaching really came into being with these changes in the publishing industry we're talking about where it's really on writers now to, to nurture their own ideas and their own careers and to bring fully baked 
projects to publishing. And so there was a role for book coaches to help throughout the entire life of the idea. An editor usually comes in at the end and more and more agents and editors don't edit at all. It's a total misnomer. They're, they acquire books, but those books have to be done. So this idea that that the writer's now responsible for, for nurturing their themselves, writing, as we've talked about, is a wildly inefficient process. And so having somebody work with you one-on-one -on -one is really, the I think, the best way to do your best work. And I, I believe that really strongly. So what Author Accelerator has become is a book coach training program. And we have training programs on both fiction and nonfiction. And we certify people who've come through our classes and proven that they can do this work. And we've certified more than 70 coaches now and they're all out there spreading this message of one-on-one -on -one support for writers and spreading this message that writing is hard and there are ways that you can do it well and and we can help you with that and teach you with that so a book coach is is helping with the the writer as a person and the project itself so they're both pieces whereas an editor will come in and just work on the pages, the book coach is, is helping with that emotional experience of, of writing as well. So our, our business really boomed during the pandemic as a lot of people realized they wanted control of their work life and they wanted to do meaningful work and they wanted to learn how to do this. And so that's, that's what we're doing. And it's really bizarre, the thing you were just talking about that, you know, you were worried that somebody else would have thought you took those ideas from that other book. I've been having this really bizarre experience where it's the opposite of that, where I teach these frameworks and processes and systems. I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a total systems and process geek when it comes to creativity, which is a very strange combination. I mm. see systems and process, processes and creativity all the time. And that's what I teach is a framework for doing that work. And and I see my students, my book coaches out there in the world teaching the things they've learned from me. And I'm like, wait, that's mine. What are you doing? And, and like, you're teaching the thing that I made. And then I'm like, oh, right. That's what I wanted you to do. Right? <laughs> like I, I wanted those ideas to spread. But there is that bizarre, that bizarre thing that I've been feeling lately of almost jealous of my students or I'll, I'll see people teaching workshops on those things, those frameworks. And it's just very strange. So <laughs> I'm kind of wrestling with it, my own success now, but it's, I'm never going to not be a book coach. I just love the work too much. And you helped me be able to position to have these two businesses, one where I'm doing the work and then one where I'm training others to do the work. And there they live side by side and they, they are getting more comfortable uh, with each other as I make the right amount of room and energy for each of them. But yeah, it's a total, it's a total thrill to, to be running this business and doing this work and watching it grow, being a, a company that was already virtual and teaching people to do work from home. And so many people suffered in academia. We had a lot of people come from academia. We had a lot of moms. I was gonna ask, like, people, do they have any background? Do they necessarily have backgrounds in what? 
writing? So I started this little series on Instagram. I've done three. So it's a series. It's called A Book Coach Becomes. No, A Blank Becomes a Book Coach. And the blank is like we've had a lawyer, a florist, uh, an English teacher, like all these different people have come into book coaching and bring really different things to it. And I believe to the bottom of my being that coaching is a totally different skill than writing and that you don't have to have success as a writer to be a good coach. You can learn how to be a, a good coach if you are good at project management and inspiring other people and seeing the patterns and story and working with creative uh, people and the chaos of that. If you are good at those things, you can be a good book coach. And are you people wanted to, let's say somebody couldn't afford to work with you, but they wanted a book coach, does Author Accelerator connect people? We do, we match people for free. So we will, we have an intake form at authoraccelerator.com and people can fill that out and tell us what their project is and where they are and what sort of coaching they're looking for. Some people want gentle coaching and some people want tough love and mm -hmm. <laughs> we will match you with a coach uh, at, for no charge for the match. And then you can talk to that coach and see if they're right. I have a problem with the marketplace model where, you know, here are all these people and you writer have to p figure out who's right for you, who's best for you or who. That's an art. I, it makes me crazy. And it's also, it also inspires a race to the bottom on pricing because people want to go for the lowest price. So those places like Fiverr or 99 designs or, you know, that type of marketplace, uh, I'm never going to do that. So you can't go to Author Accelerator and see a database of, of all our certified coaches, but we will we'll match you with who we think is right for you. And if they're not right for you, there's no obligation. I, I want people to write books that they're proud of and that are as close to their vision as they have the capacity to, to make. And we can't ever meet our vision exactly where it is. It's always, you know, like this vision I have for this book on migraine is like, it's gonna be an amazing book, right? <laughs> it's gonna have <laughs> massive impact and it's gonna be beautiful and poetic and resonant and all those things. But, you know, that's my vision, but meeting that vision, there's always gonna be some sort of gap, but I, I think we should strive to get as close to it as as we possibly can. And, and that's what the coaches are trained to do is to help help the people, you know, do the best they can. And not everybody has the skill right now to do the, to bring their vision to life. And they might have to face that and admit that, but uh, striving towards that, I think is always good. Absolutely. Words to live by. Thank you so, so much, Jenny, for coming and sharing your wisdom with us. This was an amazing conversation and very inspiring to me. So I'm sure very inspiring to my listeners too. You ask great questions and I love any, any chance I get to, to see you and talk to you. <laughs> If you don't want to hire Jenny to help you with your book right now, you are dead inside. But in the meantime, she has been generous enough to share her new ebook with us called How an Idea Becomes a Book, which you can grab at Jenny Nash, J-E-N-N-I-E, Nash, N-A-S-H, dot com backslash Pia. I will link to it in the show notes at PiaSilva.com backslash podcast. 
And if you loved this episode, please share it with a friend or post it on your Instagram stories or your Facebook profile or your LinkedIn. And make sure that you don't miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button. As you may know, I am starting this new series where I'm going to be answering questions from you, the listeners. So if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, include a question in the review, and I pick it to answer on the show, I will invite you to schedule a free 15-minute chat with me so I can help you get unstuck in your brand or your business. When I coach clients personally, I usually spend 15 minutes at a time with them and we get a lot done. And I charge a lot of money for that. So I think this is a pretty sweet deal. I really look forward to hearing from you. Taking inspiration from Jenny today, let's start with question one. If you are writing a book or you know you want to write a book, ask yourself, why? What's the purpose? What's the motivation? Are you really connected to the goal? Without that clarity, you probably won't be able to create the kind of book that can really move people, change them, inspire them. I can tell you from personal experience that if you are able to share something genuine and share a piece of yourself in the process, your book will be the gift that keeps on giving to others and to yourself and your business. Because although you shouldn't write a book with the sole purpose of trying to make money off the book itself, because that is very hard to do, There are loads of ways to make a lot of money off of a great book by selling higher and higher priced services to fans who will hire you because they trust you, because they feel like they know you. There's no better way to build trust with someone than to share your ideas with them in a great book. So I'll ask you again, why do you want to write a book? Think about it today. And that might just be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistance by Kristen Runvik. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners.